Welcome back to Casting Call. I'm your host, Jonathan Goldstein. If you haven't listened to the previous episodes of Casting Call, stop and go back. We've been documenting the journeys of our three finalists as they make their pilots. On the last episode, you heard the final say from Deborah Jarvis, a podcast about conversations with those facing death. On this episode, we'll hear Our Allowance from Natalie Pert. But first, let's go behind the scenes with her producer, Jorge Estrada. Welcome to the studio. Thanks, Jonathan. Happy to be here. I'm happy to be here as well. Great. With you. I appreciate it. In the studio. Awesome. Together. All right. I'll get out of here. I'll get out of your hair. Can I start now? Absolutely. All right. Right now. Anytime. Okay, so... Bye. I'm going to go now. All right, so I met Natalie about three months ago, back when the competition first started. And I was pretty excited to help create a show that centered around black and brown voices. So we hit the ground running in June and met two days a week. Natalie works full-time, so she has a packed schedule, but she always just seems centered. Early on, she let me in on her secrets. I like to have a whole morning before I have to go into the office. So I'll do like some meditation, maybe some stretching, definitely some tarot cards. Did you do that today? I didn't. I did I did goddess cards today. What are goddess cards? <laughs> They're just like different different goddesses. So it's like trading cards, but like goddesses. Exactly. And there's usually something like really positive on them. What what did your goddess cards tell you this morning? <laughs> My goddess card this morning was sacred space, okay. which is really good because I like got up this morning. I, I did tea, a little candle, and it was just like me and quiet and working in that in our outline doc. Natalie and I quickly got into a rhythm. We could talk about everything from social justice to spirituality to the most recent antics of a certain rapper from Chicago. Shit got deep, but mostly we became close friends. Natalie decided to make the pilot about susus, which is this way that people all over the world in places like Ghana and Mexico save money by pooling their funds together. The first step was finding people who were in susus. We started making calls and setting up interviews. Hi, Claire Ramis. This is Natalie calling. I'm just calling the schedule. Hello? Hi, Caroline. Thank you so much for doing all of this. Yeah, you know. We met a lot of interesting folks and got a lot of tape. How would you describe your relationship to money? Um, I think, I think it's gotten better, you know what I mean? I'm not as much in love with it as I used to be. For Natalie, it might have been a little too much tape. At this point, Natalie shared that she was feeling a little overwhelmed. So just, um, I think I was having a little bit of like doubt demons today. I think this ha- is kind of like happens, at least for me in any like creative endeavor I, I take. There's like, I reach a point where I'm like, is this going to work? Natalie was struggling to see how all the tape collected added up to make a single story. There was a lot to cover. And if there wasn't enough pressure on us already, Natalie was faced with the burden of representation. As an underrepresented voice in this medium, there's a sense of responsibility and pressure to get things right. And Natalie, she was starting to feel that. You know, I, I always kind of think like, oh, I can, I can do everything and do anything. And uh, I just realized, yeah, maybe that's, I, I am... I'm really feeling quite tired. Not to mention, we only had a short period of time to make this pilot. 
Like deadlines. Deadlines is another thing. I don't work in a place with really hard deadlines. But yeah, deadlines are real and, and, and we'll meet them. But to meet them, we had to hustle. We had to shape a story out of the tape that we had. I started to realize that I might need to bring in some outside help. I'm Rachel. I'm the host uh, and senior producer of Chompers, a children's toothbrushing show. Rachel's portfolio extends beyond toothbrushing. She's made a ton of radio stories in her life, and she's a great teacher. She's helped me out before when I've been stuck on stories, so I wanted to see if she could help Natalie out, too. I'm doing whiteboarding, which is one of my favorite things to do. Um, so on the whiteboard, we put up what are the elements of a, of a story and what are the elements of an episode. So a story has tension or stakes, so something matters. Uh, it has characters. So um, we restack this to maximize that tension, I think, or it, in a way that, like, sort of... I don't know, it shuffles the deck a little differently. So yeah, that's the stack. After the meeting, Natalie checked in with Caitlin, our senior producer. How are you feeling? Good. Um, it was it's really it was really fun to watch Rachel give it some more give it some more structure, um, make it come to life more. And then I feel like Rachel just came in here and like fluffed the sheets. Do you know what I mean? So it just made everything kind of, it just gave everything some more room. That was a turning point for Natalie. The next morning, she began to write her script. I got up at 3.30 and then started writing at 4 and finished by, I think I got into you by 8. That's incredible. <laughs> so. uh, it is currently 10.30 in the morning. <laughs> Are you, like, nervous? Are you, like, no, excited? I'm really excited. I feel like this is, um, this is the part I'm probably like looking forward to most, I think, was collecting all of these pieces and now finally seeing how they speak to each other, if they speak to each other. Yeah, there was no writer's block today. So the sage worked? The sage definitely worked. I think it was also the candle. And the candle, sorry. Can't just leave the candle out like (laughs) that. The candle's very important. Duh. (laughs) I'm proud of where we landed on this pilot. And Natalie's a really great host. I could listen to her read a phone book or a deck of goddess cards. After the break, we'll hear Natalie's pilot, Our Allowance. This episode of Casting Call is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform to build a beautiful website. And typically, in an ad like this, you might hear me building my own site. But I've been in the studio all day, and I really need to stretch my legs. So my producer and I decided to roam the Gimlet office and ask the tough questions. If you could be a website, what kind of website would you want to be? Maybe like a payment website or a bank, because I would take a little bit off the top so I wouldn't have to work. So you'd be a scam site? I'd be a scam website, yes. (laughs) I would steal money. I would like to be one of those hand-coded websites from 99 that has those gifts that say under construction and all the flashing lights. Why? Uh, because I'm still under construction as a person and as a website. If you could be a, a website, what kind of website would you be? I would want to be like a food blog. Yes, food. I relate to this so much. To build your next website in minutes, head over to squarespace.com slash casting call for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the promo code CASTINGCALL to get 10% off your first purchase. Again, get 10% off when you use the promo code CASTINGCALL. 
my mother's always been like obsessed with the banker, right? She goes to the bank and she's like, wow, they have all this money. And she's like, you need to be a banker. You need to be a banker. You need to be a banker. So he became a banker. This is Abu Wamimo, a 26-year-old social entrepreneur from Nigeria, now living in the U.S. Like many people of color who find their financial footing, Abby helps support his family. And in this case, that means supporting his mom. And I remember the first time she came to New York and I took her to um, 200 West, the headquarters of Goldman Sachs. And I said, hey, mom, this is where I work. She's like, oh, my God, you're a banker. Oh, this is great. My son, I'm so proud of you. And I'm like, oh, this is, might not last long. This, yeah, this wouldn't last long. Abby was about to make a big decision, one that would not only disrupt his livelihood, but also his mom's. This is Our Allowance, a podcast that centers the experiences and stories of Black people and people of color in relation to money, wealth, and economics. Big themes, I know. But we've made money work in spite of an economic system not built for our financial success. Our Allowance is a space for those experiences to be shared. I'm your host, Natalie Peart, daughter of Caribbean immigrants, lay economist, and believer in the people. In this episode, we're talking about going after a better version of our lives and what that looks like when it conflicts with what our family envisioned for us and the traditions we're expected to adopt. Traditions are complicated territory, but when it comes to economics, there is an old-time, informal banking tradition that has helped Black and brown folks bolster their financial needs. More on this particular tradition in a bit. But first, let's get back to Abby. Abby wanted to leave Wall Street, but in order to do that, he had to confront his mom. So one evening, he decided it was time to pay her a visit. You know, she cooked jollof rice, uh, you know, chicken, plantain, and I was terrified. I'm still terrified of my mother. Abby, I feel you so much right now. A piece of parenting advice that my mom gave me was that children should be terrified of their parents. West Indian parents do not play. And it appears that Nigerian parents don't either. So I'm like, Mom, you know, I, I want to talk to you about something. She's like, what? Did you impregnate someone? I'm like, no. She's like, okay, everything's cool as long as you don't impregnate anyone. <laughs> but everything was not cool. Not yet. She's like, you're doing good. I'm proud of you. You're in this job now. You know, my friends are very excited. you like, you know, marriage is probably the next thing. Is that what you're talking to me about? If she's white, it's cool. I get it. Abby's such a good son. How can his mom not help emote with maternal pride? And I said, you know, I have to leave my job. She's like, you got fired? Oh, my God. Like, punctuality is the soul of business. What happened? I'm like, no, mom, I didn't get fired. But she's like, why are you leaving? This is everything we've fought for. This is, this is the pinnacle of success. And I said, you know, I want there to do something more fulfilling. And I want there to do something whereby we could build and have an impact. Abby nudged the conversation along by giving a sort of prelude about everything he and his mom had been through together. Immigrating from very humble beginnings in Nigeria, establishing a home in Minnesota, and moving to New York City. He needed to tell his mom about a new entrepreneurial venture 
and it was going to mean leaving his stable job and interrupting the financial aid he was providing to help his mom. Abby was developing an app with his friend and fellow social entrepreneur, Samir Goyal. Abby and I met maybe about five years ago. Uh, We attended a conference, the Clinton Global Initiative, together. Prior to his time at Goldman, Abby was working on a clean water initiative called Clean Water for Everyone, while Samir was working at a food rescue organization called Transformation. And at the time, we just kind of liked what the other was doing. I think the most important thing was we had the same moral compass, you know, just walking in corporate America and thinking about our own bottom line wasn't enough for us. And we just kept in touch. And, you know, just from our conversation, talked about, you know, Susus and how it's revolutionizing, you know, the marketplace out there in in Africa. And Samir and I said, why don't we digitize this um, and put it on a mobile app? And that's exactly what they did. They took a centuries-old informal practice, one built on trust and community, and made it accessible by a single tap. No big deal, right? This practice was particularly important to Abby and Samir's trajectory. It's known as Ajo in Nigeria, where Abby's from, or Chit or Kitty in India, where Samir's family is from. But for consistency's sake, let's stick with Susu, which is what I'm used to. It's the term used in Trinidad and Tobago, where I was born and where my mom is from. Okay, we need to get a little technical here, so stay with me. A susu is a practice traditionally upheld by women to save money outside of the formal banking systems. Susus can function in a few ways, but typically they begin with 10 or so people that you know and or trust. Everyone agrees on a set amount of money to contribute, let's say $100, and deposit their portions weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, or whatever folks in the group decide. So if 10 people decide to contribute $100 a week, then that is $1,000 at the end of each week, or $2,000 every two weeks, and so on. Everyone gets a turn receiving the pot of money. And when everyone has received at least one payment, the cycle is complete and then begins again. But ultimately, SUSUs let individuals get a substantial sum of money more quickly and interest-free. Abby and Samir wanted to modernize this time-tested, immigrant-approved, worldwide collective banking model for the 21st century. They called it eSUSU, a name derived from the commonly used SUSU. But before we explore the digital version, let's go analog, or the old school way, if you will. For Abby, his introduction to Susus began early. His father passed away when he was very young, which translated into his mom being very protective of him. She dragged Abby everywhere, including her Susu group. And after a while, Abby wanted in. So when I said I wanted to join, it was particularly important to her because she saw I was following her footstep, not spending, but trying to accumulate capital with, with these women. It was this Susu group that would provide Abby with his first taste of entrepreneurship. He became a purveyor of candy on school grounds. I bought candy and I sold it to very wealthy students at 300% profit margin. 
Abby, impressively, used the money accumulated from the Susu Group to buy his first supply. It was great, but without the capital accumulated in my Susu Groups, I, I couldn't have the money to sort of amass that down payment to afford my supplies, which was candy. Abby's schoolyard candy business was such a success that it allowed him to graduate from the sweet stuff and reinvest his profits into a more sophisticated product. I got into Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire and Crystal, my highly profitable product. So for the non-Pokemon enthusiasts, like myself, Ruby, Sapphire, and Crystal are all video games within the Pokemon franchise. I love, love that product. I'll never forget them because the rates at which I sold Ruby and Sapphire and Crystal, you know, really, really helped me. Sounds like nothing, but for me it was particularly important because when my mother couldn't afford to pay for my SATs, I used some of the money I accumulated just engaging and fostering that business ideology um, to pay for my SAT, to pay for my visa fee to come here. Abby was already getting a feel for what being an entrepreneur was like. And it all started in the company of women, talking business and combining their funds. It's not only about them pulling financial resources together. There's that social aspect of checking in. How are you doing? You know, how's your family? Which is utterly important to this community. What I love about Susu is that community is at the center. Not only are you accountable for yourself, but for others in the group as well. Here's Samir again. Abby's business partner. Abby's describing a very organized uh, SUSU system. I've also seen situations where it's much less organized. You know, in India, people would just spend the entire Sunday at someone's house and just kind of like hang out, drink tea or chai, and you kind of just gather at someone's house. There's some sort of a box with money and you know, people are like, oh, where's my $25? Did you, who put that in? Like, you're, you're just kind of scrambling a little bit. But in the end, there's trust built in there. And it kind of just works out. Samir's grandmother used the money from Susu's to pay for Samir's dad's school supplies. With that foundation and Samir's dad's hard work, he was able to get into a top university in New Delhi. And soon after, he would have the opportunity to attend Rutgers University in New Jersey. Samir and Abby come from an established, informal banking tradition, one that has helped many immigrants gain a foothold while living in the diaspora. Practices like Susu have helped immigrants buy time while they establish a new financial identity. So I'd say the reason why immigrant communities and communities of color are a greater risk for banks is just, firstly, a lack of information. Uh, so there just isn't really a pedigree. If you think about immigrants, you know, none of their historical track record from their home country uh, is counted in the U.S. Banks don't have access to it. And then communities of color have been historically disenfranchised from the banking systems. We don't have to look that far back in history. The 2008 financial crisis was not void of racist motives. Pero, balante. With less assets and less wealth circulating in our communities, there is less power to play in the financial field equitably. So there's a saying that it's almost uh, it's uh, expensive to be poor in America. And if you think about the way that banks are set up, they kind of uh, penalize you for having less income and being paycheck to paycheck. Some banks require that you either keep a minimum balance in your checking account or have a qualifying direct deposit to avoid a monthly maintenance fee. For those who are unable to meet those standards, incurring a $12 or $25 fee can be prohibitive. 
Beyond that, I think the big, big difference is really around access to capital. So loans, uh, mortgages, uh, car loans, any of those sort of things is very hard to get because you don't have an established credit score uh, and you don't have enough capital reserve for those purchases to be easy. It's harder to access capital without sound credit or without having credit. But Samir and Abby's Isusu app is looking to solve that. First, the Isusu app connects to your bank account. It incorporates automatic withdrawals, provides security, and builds credit to help establish or add to a financial identity. Basically, Isusu is helping to create a proof of trust by sharing users' payment activity with U.S. credit bureaus. The data is used to bolster Isusu users' credit scores. And if you aren't banking with the mainstream bank, Isusu works with CDFIs, or Community Development Financial Institutions, whose goal is to deploy capital to underserved areas. Had I been introduced to the practice of SUSUs at a younger age, it may have allowed me to interact and get familiar with money in a more substantive way. Maybe I would have been able to pay off my student loan debt faster. Cheryl Tate is someone who avoided the bank for a loan and instead turned to SUSU. She immigrated from Jamaica over 20 years ago. I didn't have any credit cards or stuff. I didn't want them because I heard about they were, you started one and you keep adding and adding and you get into debts. Because I'm not going to a bank, they'll ask you 101 questions. Back then, Cheryl was working at a family store and in need of money for her college textbooks. Cheryl decided to implement SUSU, or partner, as they call it in Jamaica. So I'm like, instead of going to the bank, filling all those forms, giving all those information, waiting on them for maybe days, I don't know how long it would take to process a loan. I needed my books right now. I just resort to my SUSU. It's interest-free. I don't have to pay no interest. And I get the money right up front. So, and no questions asked. Cheryl said it wasn't hard to get her co-workers on board to start a SUSU. She named her integrity and trustworthiness as collateral. If she didn't follow through, she would lose the respect of her coworkers, and she would be left having to confront them for messing with their money. It also helped that some of them are familiar with SUSUs. Cheryl knew about this practice from back home. When she was a teen back in Jamaica, she participated in one SUSU in high school. In high school, it must have been maybe like $100 or near close to $100. Not that much, because back then $100 was a lot of money, but no $100 means nothing back home. Cheryl and the other girls in the SUSU group used their money around Christmas time to buy and exchange gifts with one another. We wanted that money for Christmas, because we'd have our class parties and we wanted to buy. We had um, that pixie thing. We call it exchange of giving gifts. Then you pick... You have a random person, you choose a random person, grab bag, whatever you call it. We call it Secret Santa. Secret Santa. We call it um, exchange of giving gifts for our pixie. This time, instead of pixie or Secret Santa, Cheryl was going to use the SUSU money for her education. So she presented her idea to her coworkers at the store where she worked. And I said, you know, I need to buy some books, but I don't have enough funds so why don't we start a SUSU? And I went to everybody, all the staff, and they're like, sure, sure, everybody chipped in. And they put their hand, and I got whatever I wanted, more than what I wanted to. So I went and I bought my books. The SUSU continued until everyone in the group received their share of the pool. And once the cycle completed, they decided to keep it going. Two decades later, Cheryl is still running her SUSU. 
She now works for a firm in Manhattan as an accountant and sits at the helm of her susu as the banker, the person responsible for collecting and paying out the money. Susu money has helped Cheryl pay off her student debt and car loan and has allowed her to send money back home to family in Jamaica. Although running a susu can be a lot of work. Sometimes it can get stressful um, if you don't get the money in time. But I, I enjoy being a banker. I enjoy counting money, whether or not it's mine. <laughs> um, I, I don't know, I just like it. In Jamaica, the money you contribute to the Susu group is called a hand. You'll hear people say, throw a hand or throw Susu. So if they call and ask, um, when is that available? And I could just look in my book and I could tell them. Or if, otherwise, I have to wait till I get home. I could tell them. Because sometimes they'll text and ask, can I get a hand? I'm going on vacation, or my son is sick, or I need something. And I'll say, okay, give me a week, give me two weeks. And This added like a lot of moving pieces to be mindful of. Cheryl uses both Excel and a notebook to keep track of what everyone owes or is owed. And not all of her SUSU members live nearby, but technology has helped mitigate the physical distance. Folks in her SUSU group like to pay Cheryl in different ways. Some use bank transfers, while others prefer to hand their money to her in person. This appeared to be another way that the Asusu app could help. It could streamline her collecting and payout process. I never thought of using an app. I don't know. I just like to see my people. I know that they came here with the money. Um, I guess with technology changing, that could be an option. Cheryl also said that some people in her group weren't as tech-savvy and might have trouble using the app, which I completely understand. I'm not tech-savvy either. I asked her if she thought anything would be missing by moving to an online platform. Yeah, the friendship. The friendship, the meeting, you know, just talking. I like that part. I think it builds trust. Just the thought of seeing them get in the envelope, saying thank you, it's different. Cheryl knows the people very well in her group. In all of the years she has been running her susu, she has only had to ask one person to leave for not paying on time. She says there is some risk in trusting that people will pay when they're supposed to and not leave the group after they have gotten their money. But there are ways to help temper things like that. Some bankers charge a fee to join the SUSU, which later could be used as a deposit. Some bankers take half hand. So you'll totally, if it's half hand, you'll lose. And if it's more than one person's, then you have to stand the loss. That's why you have to make sure you take reliable people, people you trust. While charging a fee cannot entirely prevent someone from leaving the group, it can help lessen the loss. That said... Facing your community when you've been shady is enough to make someone think twice. Bankers told me that it's rare to have someone take off with the pot. And when that has happened, people still choose to participate. They understand that it may have been one untrustworthy person instead of the susu practice getting a bad rap. It is true that in a traditional susu, your money isn't exactly insured. But for users of the eSusu app, all eSusu accounts are FDIC-insured up to $250,000 per industry standard. As for community, retaining the community piece was very important to Samir and Abby. 
They have made chat and direct message options available to encourage conversation. As Cheryl stated, SUSU Group should be made up of people you trust, and they should also have a shared understanding that they are making a financial commitment to each other. You'll have to devise your own way of establishing trust. Maybe make clear from the beginning that public shaming will be a consequence, or, I don't know, do some trust falls. Trust and risk were words that appeared a lot during the interviews for Cheryl, Abby, and Samir. I would also add faith, which existed much more quietly, but was ever-present. Whether it was Samir's parents immigrating to the U.S., Cheryl knowing that the SUSU would likely work as a way to help her further her education, or Abby telling his mom and not having their world implode. The interplay of risk and faith leads, I think, to a bit of innovation and maybe even genius. But some money over no money would make taking a risk easier. Here's Samir. I, I just don't think that's the reality of immigrant households, right? For for me, it was more, you know, like, be secure, find a way to make it work, do whatever it takes to make enough money to be stable, like, stay in line, right? Don't, don't take unnecessary risks, because that was the reality my parents were living in. With less monetary means to fall back on, our parents probably felt like they had less room to shake up their careers. In the case of my dad, it was a struggle for him to go back to school. With two kids to support, stability for both of my parents was something that they sought to keep intact. He would work nights and go to school during the day, and he and my mom had to figure out how to hold the household down. The thing about Susu's that leaves me in awe, not just Abby and Samir's app, but the practice, is how it has survived. For those of us of the African diaspora, it withstood the middle passage to become Susu, partner, box hand, and mutual aid societies in Black communities in the New World. Samir and Abby are attempting to use an old world practice to create a more level playing field for our current times. And that's why Samir and I, with our backgrounds, we wake up every day and say, look, we're not only fighting for people outside, we're also fighting for our families because it's a personal fight. And our success is inextricably tied to those we're fighting for and our own communities. I hope you feel inspired to re-examine some of your own dreams. They're important. Taking a risk, putting yourself out there, making whatever big jumps always requires people pulling a little of their time, a little of their effort, and sometimes money to attain something bigger. This is Natalie Parrott reporting from the lands of black and brown wealth, though our true riches reside within each other. This episode was produced by myself, Jorge Estrada, with help from Max, The Axe, Gibson, and Julia Botero. Our senior producer is Caitlin Boguki. Our editors are Devin Taylor and Rachel Ward. This episode was mixed by Katherine Anderson and Peter Leonard. And thank you, Ray, Richard, Abby, Luce, and Jess for holding space. Oh, and before I forget and have to hear about it for the rest of my life, thanks, Mom and Dad and Corey. I love you dearly. 
And thank you to the cab driver who gave me an impromptu palm reading, his true passion, after a particularly rough day. Kindness goes a long way.